Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Casey Crown. Casey does a beautiful job of combining science, spirituality, and therapy. I think in this modern day, it's not one or the other. It's sort of identifying what are the issues, what is the spiritual kind of approach to it, and then what is the practice. We talk about even being able to heal and rewire your brain and nervous system. I learned a ton, we shared a lot, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Welcome to the Gabby Reese Show. It's all an experiment. Thank you for coming up here. But what I was saying is like, I try to, you know, it's like people have all the answers like, oh, okay, well, we'll meditate. We'll bring modern practices in with uh, old spiritual practices. But then I'm like, cool, how do you do that in your own life? And mm-hmm. you have three daughters. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm interested to hear sort of not only the practice and some of the suggestions, but then, oh, and when it shows up for me, this is how I, I do it. Because I think that that... For most of us, that then you go, oh, that makes sense. Because mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. it's not even getting all the way there, mm-hmm. right? It's getting halfway there yeah. from where we were. Right. So maybe you could back me um, up into how you have been. you from Chicago, how you ended up on this journey mm-hmm. to... Um, I know you took a trip in 2005, I think, that was sort of important. Or you went on a trip in 2005. Did I read that right? Yeah, to India. Mm-hmm. That was sort of probably impactful, but Mm -hmm. I'd love to know how you, a girl from Chicago (laughs) ends up here living in Ojai and yeah. Um, Oh goodness. Okay. So uh, yeah, I grew up in Chicago. Um, and you know, without going into too much detail about my childhood, um, you know, like many of us, it was, it was complicated. Um, and I, Ended up um, kind of by the time I was in my early 20s, um, I had been abusing drugs and alcohol. I had been um, struggling with really pretty severe chronic anxiety for a number of years. Um, what does that look like? And I say that selfishly because yeah. I, I don't know. I've, I've learned to always suppress everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, coming from sports, you know, suck it up whatever those things were. Mm -hmm. And the reason I ask is I have one daughter in particular who she's younger. And so sometimes I'm always like, oh, they have a very uh, inept um, vernacular Mm -hmm. because it's all been around them. Oh, you're anxious. Oh, you're, you know, you're ADHD. Oh, you're this. And so all the, all the diagnosing. uh, Yeah. So (laughs) what I'm curious is for you at that time, Mm because I, I would, I know it's real. Yeah. How was it showing up? Um, well, I mean, anxiety is really just the hyperarousal of the nervous system. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was showing up in the form of um, panic attacks and really just like an inability to downregulate, mm-hmm. right? To be present and to calm myself down. Um, now, most of that was internal, so I wasn't, you know, chaotic necessarily in my behavior. I mean, I was making some high risk choices, sure. um, self-medicating and things like that. Is that getting relief from that feeling or, or what yeah. was happening? And sometimes, and similar with sports, sometimes it matches the energy of the hyper arousal, right? Mm. So you're almost kind of like going into communion with it and powering through it. Um, so, you know, exercises actually and, and high impacts, high intensity sports are, mm-hmm. um, can be really helpful to help, re- you know, regulate the nervous system. Right. Um, but 
I definitely did not have the language for understanding what was going on. Um, and it wasn't like I had this moment of realization, oh, you know, like I really need to transform my life. I just kind of like crashed and burned my way into treatment. And um, when I was in that context, really started to, I, I, got a, I got an education first, which is part of the reason why I teach um, because I find having a psychoeducation, having an understanding about how our relationships, our adverse experiences, our traumatic experiences impact our nervous system and our mm -hmm. brain and make it difficult for us to cope with certain realities, that's a really important part of the healing process. Um, and just going to therapy and talking to a therapist is not as effective when we don't actually understand what the end game is, how right. it is actually repairing the nervous system and the brain, et cetera, et cetera. See, I, want, I think that for me, that's so fascinating, right? Because we think, well, I just have to forgive my mom or whatever, mm -hmm. and I'll get over it. But like you're saying too, there's things, there's hard, hard wiring, or there were things that patterns that were developed uh, physiologically Yeah, that you're constantly having these reactions. Yeah. And um, that's a, that's a, I don't want to say it's a newer way, but I think it's, a, it definitely feels like a more 360 degree way. So you, so you, how did you arrive or have the confidence to go, yeah, but we're also not dealing with the, you know, with our circuitry, with our board, because we're still yeah. having this constant reaction. Well, I will admit that it took me, I was, you know, 15 years into my healing process before I, I started really studying, or maybe 10 years into my healing process before I started studying the brain. Um, and, and, you know, I had been to treatment, two treatment centers, therapy for years. I had gone to graduate school at this point. What was your, like, okay, so you had anxiety and when you go to treatment center, is it like 30 days? Is yeah. it 60 days? Yes. It's your typical, you know, drug and alcohol inpatient treatment center. Um, you know, I think that we know so much more now than we did 20 years ago when yeah. I went to treatment. So um, I'm sure the models have shifted and changed. I hope they have. Um, certainly, I got a lot out of it. I did change the course of my life, but I would say that it was spiritual interventions that actually mm -hmm. inspired me down a path of healing. Um, you know, I, beginning to study yoga and meditation and, and kind of traditional wisdom and studying um, with a, a couple of different spiritual teachers, I began to really look at life through a different lens. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and, and, you know, as I mentioned, I, I kind of got into studying the brain and studying interpersonal neurobiology later after graduate school in my postgraduate work. Mm -hmm. And at that time I was like, wow, you know, I've been doing this work for a decade already and I still have anxiety right? What is this about and why can't I regulate this to the degree that I, I really wish to in order to thrive? And um, what, ways, what ways did it hold you back for you, your personal experience? Um, I think, I mean... Or is it I'm just how you were feeling it's inside? It's more of how I was feeling. I, I powered through it a lot. Mm. I started my practice. I, I definitely, you know, I, I functioned. Right. Um, it wasn't, I, it's not like my functioning was impaired at that point. Right. Um, it was earlier on, but not, not at that point. So it's, you know, I think for me, it was limiting in that it created kind of a consistent feeling of, of self-doubt, mm -hmm. right? And, um, you know, I, I think that's something that we all grapple with in the human experience, yeah. right? So 
it's reasonable to have self-doubt, right? I, it emerges with clients all the time in my work. I can relate to the experience, right? And and you, I'm sure you know, you were a professional athlete. You, mm. you know, are now on a show and a podcast. When you first started your show, you probably had to get over some fears, well, well, I would they imagine. Call it, they call it, you know, it's, it's almost like how imposter syndrome sh- shows up. Right. I mean, and it's, I think it's interesting because, you, you know, we always we have certain biological things that serve us, right? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, for example, you have someone who maybe they overeat. It's like, yes, we understand what this is connected to because when we biologically used to, it was, you know, food was scarcer or what have you. It's like, eat it when you can. And mm-hmm. obviously biologically that doesn't serve us. And I think hyper-awareness and certain things that biologically have been good for us mm-hmm. in our modern living kind of kick our ass in a way. Right. And so it's interesting to, you know, talk about, um, you know, the nervous system because I think that is again connected. Like a part of that being a little bit activated is good. Yeah. And it's super useful. Right. And like, Oh, I have a presentation and I'm going to be on my game and I'm going to remember everything and be hyper alert and all these things. So I think it, it's us also having, I don't want to say peace with it, but when it shows up, it's like, Oh, I understand that this has a place. It just doesn't have a place at this level or in this situation right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and yes, to your when you said earlier, I all I question myself constantly, mm-hmm. just because also in an attempt to want to do a good job or take advantage of the time that you're sitting in front of me. Right before, I have to kind of feel like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. I hope I do this, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and it it's a tool that helps me it's uncomfortable, but it makes me maybe a little stronger mm-hmm. or more alert. Yeah. So, okay. So let's go back to you. So you, you're, you have a practice, you're helping people. And it is always amazes me that the people that go through a hardship and then it's like the best people I've ever had work on me, like for injuries, all had some radical injury mm-hmm. that, that whatever modality they got into was usually the one that sort the of wounded healer. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm, I always, I always really appreciate that. So then you start thinking, yes, but we're not getting to some of the source, mm-hmm. which then mm-hmm. leads you yeah. to study the brain mm-hmm. and the nervous system. And so what do you, what does your practice look like then versus kind of what happens after? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, just to con- continue on that thread mm-hmm. around the brain and the nervous system, I'll say what you're speaking to is super important, which is that fear is very useful. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a point at which, from a clinical standpoint, what we call, we call um, there's something we call the window of tolerance. It was you know, defined by Dan Siegel, right? So it's like when you exit that window of tolerance and you're so hyper-aroused that your ability to stay in the present moment is impaired and do the thing that it is that you're trying to do, that's when it's become unuseful, right? That's when the fear is actually um, wreaking havoc on your life and your choices, et cetera. So... That was really important for me to learn, right? When I was started studying the nervous system and the brain, I began to realize that I was constantly exiting my window of tolerance, and I was having a difficult time down-regulating and staying in the present moment. And really, there is this, even though I had already been meditating and practicing all of these mindfulness tools for years, there is something, uh, like the quality of my meditations became different when I realized that what I was doing while meditating was actually rewiring the neural pathways of my brain, that I was actually doing something. You I was mean rep- the intention too, like not just like I'm here meditating, but this idea of 
laying new cable, if yes, you will. Yes, laying new cable. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. And I think we aren't, we weren't, you know, t- it's, we're not accustomed to being educated about the brain and the nervous system in our, in our therapeutic context, unfortunately. And I find all of that to be so important, right? Because we can use all these spiritual psychological tools, mm. um, but they have a biological impact, and if we if we are you know if we are able to develop some sort of understanding around what that biological impact is, I think we have greater agency in directing the flow of our energy and attention toward that outcome, mm-hmm. right? And I'm sure you know as an athlete, right? Where you direct your attention and energy is you know where you direct your attention is where energy flows, and that's where, right? You experience. Well, it feels like your practice for me is this idea too. Sometimes we think of spiritual as something which it is, it's, it's within us. It's greater than us. It's, you know, it's, it's connecting to each other, to the, to the, to nature, Mm. to all these things. But then there is just kind of the hard science of who we are, Mm -hmm. like our brains. And so it's funny because we think, oh, intention and all these things, but also we can work with our hard selves or this idea of old therapy you know, simultaneously. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're not, science and spirit are not disconnected. And I think that there was a period of time where they were. And now we're living in a world where where scientists are becoming spiritualists in in many ways, and which is really fun to watch. Um, And it's really because science doesn't know everything, right? We're still dealing with the mystery of consciousness itself. And, you know, um, you know, we, we, there's so many things that we just can't possibly understand about consciousness and energy flow. And, um, it's, there are miracles, right? Every day in so many ways. So when I think about spirituality, I I really, I I try to frame it kind of from an energetic standpoint, right? Mm -hmm. Because I, I come from the interpersonal neurobiology theory that consciousness is energy. And so when I think of spirit, I think of really the highest frequency of energy that there is. Right. And so, you know, for many people, that is love. Um, and there are other expanded states of consciousness or, you know, high frequencies of energy, things like joy, connection, gratitude, right? So when I think of spirit, right, what is it that creates vitality and energy and creativity in our being, right, and allows for us to, you know, embody the best version of ourselves, be of service, show up in the world in meaningful ways, I think of expansion. When I think of trauma, I think of contraction, mm-hmm. right? I think of the shadow. I think of what is it that's in the way of our capacity to access expanded states of consciousness, just connect to them in the first place. And then when I can identify what's in the way, right, what are the barriers, I know where my work lies in terms of, as a trauma therapist, I know where my work lies when I can find those barriers to entry. And then also, what are the practices, once we do access those states, what are the practices we need to integrate them? Because integrating them is a very different story than accessing them. Right. It's not like a one-off. No. It's like, how do I build a pathway to that place? Right. How do I rewire the brain? Mm-hmm. How do I embody these qualities so that they actually become a part of who I am as opposed to something that I connect to every once in a while, but don't really, um, you know, experience as a part of me. Right. Right. So, and I, on this, you know, because you know so much more about it than I do, I want you to lead in some of this, but in some of it, I just... I know I have just a lot of questions, but I, more and more, if like, you know, you have three daughters, 
three, six, and nine. So maybe they haven't hit some of the sort of layered and complicated elements of being teenagers and things like that that parents will go through. Mm-hmm. Just off the top, you know, I have a friend um, who has a daughter who's going through something. And there isn't a trauma, mm-hmm. right? There wasn't a sexual trauma. There isn't, um, there is a divorce. Um, but, and, and there's telephones and there's social media. Mm. Okay. So, so you just named three traumas. Right. (laughs) And so it's an interesting time that maybe, um, and I, and I want to just kind of get into this because I think a lot of people are either going through it or living with somebody going through it. Mm -hmm. And the people who are living are probably supposed to be guides and they don't know what to do. At all, yeah. like you'll you'll have a leg up not only because your kids are younger and you got the warning shot, but also you have tools. Yeah, you're a professional, mm-hmm. and I know there's a lot of parents out there where their kids are anxious, and they do they're on telephones and they communicate with their peers in a very different way than any of us grew up. Um, you know what? What's a starting point? Like you have a kid who's, they're having issues, Mm -hmm. like real issues. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, If someone were to come and see you and it was really kind of almost uh, that vague Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or vague feeling, how do you start to even attack that? Yeah. Well, in a couple of ways. Um, First of all, parenting is so hard. So um, I have all sorts of tools and they don't always work <laughs> as a parent. Yeah. Um, it is where my growing edge lies. There's a lot of novelty there. I've never done it before. It's the first. Um, so I empathize with all parents learning how to parent as they parent. It is a, yeah. it is a process. Um, the other piece is um, that like the collective nervous system of humanity is... Um, it's in a crazy. state of hyper arousal. Right yes, now. we are I in mean, a very intense um, place in our human history. Yeah, right. And it's it's very combative. It's interesting. I try to look at it through the lens of everybody else. You mm-hmm. know, like my lens and their other lens. And like, if you think about it from kids' point of view, adults are acting badly. They're mm-hmm. yelling at each other. Mm-hmm. Nobody's listening. Nobody's having conversations. Nobody's having healthy disagreement. Mm-hmm. It's an all or nothing zero-sum game. It's either you believe everything I do or you're out. There's all kinds of interesting things. Yeah. I mean, imagine growing up in that. It is a soup. And it's scary. Yes. Because you're not allowed to misstep either, Mm -hmm. right? Like you can't misstep as a young person. Mm -hmm. I think about how many crappy things I said or did Mm -hmm. that were private. learning process. That were private. Right. They were private. Yeah. Yeah. My neighbor and the couple girls at school, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and these kids have to grow up with constant scrutiny. Mm-hmm. And if you misstep, you're going to get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think without question, it's a different, if it's a different world, the, 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 I don't work personally with children. Right. Um, I prefer to work with a brain that is more fully developed because right. my, my, my skill lies in actually repairing injury, um, and helping moving, move people, you know, into harmony from that vantage point, surprisingly. But, um, so my work it would be with the parent, right? Yeah. Um, and around their process, what does it feel to be? To, what does it feel like to 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 be so out of control, right? Of your child's experience, yeah. right? And 
So, because I think oftentimes where parents go and when their children are in distress or when they're, you know, when, when they don't even speak the same language as their child because they're growing up in such a different, you know, paradigm than we did. Yeah. Um, that it can feel, you can feel very powerless and helpless and out of control as a parent, right? And so I'd be wanting to look at what, how is that manifesting in the parent, right? And how is the parent, um, you know, dealing with their trauma and addressing their challenges? And then how is that, how is that language, right? How is language around the repairing of their injury coming into conversations Mm -hmm. at the dinner table or, you know, at the home, because children respond really well to modeling. Um, and so if we're not doing our work, our children are not likely to do the work either. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I, I supervise uh, clinical associates that are getting licensed. And I just had supervision with my interns right before this. And one of my associates was, say, was telling me about a very similar scenario that you're describing. And, um, you know, the, the, the parent in the situation wanted like a, you know, one, two, three punch, like give me the formula for, you know, getting Mm -hmm. control of this situation. And, um, I had to tell her, you know, okay, so we're seeing some control issues with the parent right out of the gates. Right. Um, and so we have to educate the parent about, you know, these issues that our children have, they took time to develop, Mm -hmm. right. Just like integration, healing, growth requires practice, so too does trauma. So when you say a child doesn't have a traumatic injury, like a major traumatic experience, these kids are growing up chronically exposed to adverse experiences at some level, right? They're chronically exposed to a world that is where they're afraid of climate crisis, where they're afraid of war, where they're afraid of getting sick and dying or someone they love might get sick Mm -hmm. and die of a, you know, pandemic disease. So we don't, and we often don't think it's, it's the, we, we, cause we think, oh, we're taking care of them that like, we're we don't them, understand how them. loud that message might be for them. Exactly. Yeah. And so there are certain things you can do as a parent Is to it better to it. Kinda, and also to talk about it, to talk I mean, about it, to limit the kind of limit media in your house. Oh yeah. No, you know, limit, yeah. you know, th- th- there are things you can do to talk about it, but the, the problem is if your kid has a phone, mm-hmm. it's coming without question. It's coming. And, yeah. and the thing is at least, you know, again, that level of control over your children, you lose it much sooner than when I was growing up, right? right? Like there was a book called, what is it? Hold on to your kids as long as you can. Do you, yes. remember, do you yeah. remember this book? I know. Yeah, and I'm it was trying like, to remember because who the author was. by the time your kid is 12, you know, their friends will influence them more than you. And I'm like 12. Yeah. Like nine. Yeah. <laughs> it's just happening sooner. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that for a lot of us, we understand the phone's not going anywhere. You can't get rid of it. Um, you do see as kids get older, I have seen this with my daughters, they actually will make, find, they do make the space. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. this sort of earlier 12, 13, 14, this Mm -hmm. zone in here Mm -hmm. where it's... Which is the crazy zone anyway. It's such a hard age. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. And I just try to think, oh, hormones. And I try to remember what it was like for me and everybody, but you know, my daughter, I picked her up yesterday and like, here's your food. Mm And we're, you know, I do, you know, I did all this stuff and and uh, it's just like misery, you mm-hmm. know, and you just go, okay, I won't take it personally. <laughs> you know, like I, I, uh, but I will say this. So for parents listening, there's a couple things that I think are, I just won't, I won't, and we'll move on is when you get dealt with like your kids going through something and it's showing up like, oh, um, I, you know, I know people like their kids are 
cutting themselves mm. or they're stealing mm-hmm. or they're doing whatever mm-hmm. or I want to I'm suicidal mm. right is you said something really important and I, so I think for people listening is first of all It's sort of like you can't avoid something mm-hmm. like stuff's going to happen and stuff's coming. Mm-hmm. And we, cause our first reaction, I think as parents, cause I went through something with one of my girls and it completely flipped me upside down was how could this have, ha- you get, I got really literal minded. I started going through my files of like years and days of parenting and like, that's not the point. Mm-hmm. The point is how do we get ourselves help and also the right information so we then can support and help and love them. Mm -hmm. And that's it. Mm -hmm. I think going back over, well, I said this and they said this and that happened and then I dropped them off at this time. All that stuff um, is sort of really not important, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. And it's very natural for us as parents to, we're trying to figure that out. Mm -hmm. Like it's almost like we're the banging into a wall over and over. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that's hard is to find the right help. And so maybe I could just ask you, I know you don't deal with kids because for example, treatment centers, not always so great. Mm -hmm. They give your kids a lot of, uh, it's like going into jail and becoming a better criminal. Mm -hmm. So now they have, um, they understand a lot more Mm -hmm. about a lot of other things that other people go through and they have titles for that and labels and they think maybe that's forever. And I think sometimes that may not be the best thing. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times when parents are looking for help, they don't know where to get good help for their kid. And it's really scary Mm -hmm. because sometimes you can almost make it worse. Of course. Because kids can all of a sudden be like, oh, I'm X, Y, and Z versus I'm going through a rough patch and I need some tools. Right. Right. Which is why I emphasize the importance of the parents doing their own work, right? Because if we are doing our work, then we have language and we have tools to Mm -hmm. share with them, right? It's like we can, we can meet them in their pain in a different way with a different quality of consciousness and with a different set of, um, you know, tools to offer. Now, certainly there are circumstances under which a situation has, um, you know, devolved to the point where a mm-hmm. child is harming themselves or is suicide, has suicidal ideation or what have you. Um, and those are really scary situations f- for any family. Um, and I empathize greatly with any parent that's going through that. Um, but it's also more popular, right? You, you, you I understand what you're saying. There's, there's also there's this a, thing of like, it's like whatever that ridiculous show, 13 Reasons Why or whatever yeah, that I hell on. That. I didn't either. Okay. But I, I mean, I know about it yeah. and I have kids. Right. It's like, that's become an option. Right. These are now options that are very mainstream for kids. So also, it's... Right. Well, and that's right. Kids are very influenceable. And so, because they're, you know, they're developing. Yeah. And they're also experiencing a tremendous amount of insecurity. And there's attention-seeking behavior. Right. And I'm not suggesting that they aren't also in a tremendous amount of pain. I'm not right? downplaying yeah, it, but I'm just it. talking about the scenario. Totally. Um, and I wish I could give you a, like a, a really clear answer to how, you know, in terms of where to direct those parents. So what about maybe the type of help or therapy? What is the, what is like some names or things where maybe you feel like they're sort of dealing with it on a more holistic and whole instead of let's sit down on the couch and you tell me how you feel. Got it. Yeah. 
Well, first of all, I think any kind of like family systems therapy is really important because oftentimes a parent sees a child in distress and puts the child in therapy and doesn't realize how interconnected the child's challenges are to their you know, family system and the way things are going at home. And that's not to say that parents want to need to blame themselves for there are lots of children that are challenging from the get-go and there's all sorts of reasons why kids have um, mental health issues. But, um, but when I was in my clinical training in community mental, mental health, time and time again, you know, parents would drop off their kids and I'd be working with a child who I was listening to and thinking, oh my gosh, like, the parents need therapy, right? The parents need to come in here and get some help. This child is reacting to a dynamic that's at play in the family system, right? So if the family doesn't have tools, which is the responsibility of the parents, right? And I am saying this as a somebody who's growing edge is parenting. Like, I am not doing this perfectly at all. No. I am sure I'm effing up my kids no, in we're, but we're plenty the parents. of ways. We are the parents. But we're the parents. We're the and parents. we are responsible, yeah. right? And there's a point at which, right, so like I went to treatment in my early 20s, and at that point, I, one of the greatest gifts I got was from a spiritual teacher by the name of Carolyn Mace mm-hmm. who said to me, wake up. Nobody's going to change your life except for you. Stop focusing on other people changing. You're not a victim. Get it together. And it was like, you know, kind of a harsh intervention, but what was so useful about mm-hmm. it was that I recognized... At that point, I'm, I'm an adult, I have agency, and now I have, I'm accountable, right? And I have, right? So there, what you're describing is with teenagers is they're in this really challenging gray zone where they're not yet fully accountable, yeah. right? To like transform their own consciousness and do the work. It is a family systems issue most of the time. Right. So parents need to drop some of what they're doing, not all of it, and and get in therapy with their kids and do it together. And and there's I'm sh- I mean again like access is uh, is also really important to consider. Not not every family has access to therapy, access right. to treatment. So so what do they do? Well, that's part of what's unfortunate about our Health. system, yeah, yeah. right? Um, we need you know a makeover so mm-hmm. that more people have access to better treatment. And unfortunately. Um, you know, that's something that we're up against right now. So there are books. Um, Dan Siegel has written a bunch of books. I don't oh. know if you know who he is, yeah. but he's one of my mentors and he's amazing. Um, Tell me, like, if you, let's say someone's listening and they go, listen, I, I don't have the finances or the access or time or anything, mm-hmm. or I'm a divorcee and the other partner won't go, or whatever the million things mm-hmm, are that mm-hmm. people, what are some books that you think are, um, whether you're in it or not, would, are great things to read. To because there's been some stuff that I read and I've read, and like you hear it and you go, it doesn't matter where you are in your life. That's a helpful reminder or mm-hmm, thought. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think there's probably lots of great books. Definitely start with Dan Siegel. He mm-hmm. has a bunch. Um, there's again, I read I read so much about trauma and spiritual growth, but not as many parenting books. Um, but those can be you know used as parenting books as well. Um, but Dan writes specifically about the developing brain and the developing mind. Mm -hmm. And, um, so there's a number of books that I think are really useful and probably some resources in those books as well. Yeah. Perfect. You know, what's interesting. I will say too, is like, um, like I said, I, I went through something with one of my daughters in particular that was a, and they're all great learning lessons, but was, um, is we're the adults, we're the parents, we need to act like that. Right. And simultaneously, 
it's weird of taking all that accountability and then and remind and remembering also it may not be your fault because mm-hmm. sometimes we're so afraid mm. of the, like the appearance of it or how does this reflect on me there's some weird stuff that also when you can admit to yourself like what am I really reacting to I might be reacting to I'm scared because this might be my fault Mm. or what does this look like or they're going through this. And so I just want to say to parents too, like it's dual show up as the adult, be totally accountable, but it doesn't have to be your fault. That's a wonder. I'm so glad you brought that up. That's so important in, in so many different areas, right? Because we, we do have a tendency to sometimes be almost over accountable Right. And, and, and that can be harmful too. Right. When you have, when you're going into over responsibility. Right. And, um, and it induces a lot of shame and shame is a paralyzing agent. One goes back to what you're saying, keeps you from that expansive, from that creativity, that high frequency, all that stuff doesn't help you get to the place where you really want to get. That's right. So when you're crippled by shame and worried about being, having, you know, done something to, within yeah. your family system that might have impacted your child negatively, yeah. you know, it's like that, that shame isn't useful. Recognizing that we're human, that we, nobody knows how to parent. We're all doing the best we can. We're learning as we go that children have all sorts of unique, come in with all sorts of unique lessons that they have to learn. And this is where the spiritual perspective can be really useful as well, which is that, mm-hmm. you know, we come into these bodies and we're here to evolve and grow and learn a bunch of lessons. And that includes your children. And so sometimes your child has to go through something just like you've had to go through something in your life that's been really challenging and painful. Um, It is so hard to watch your children suffer. Mm -hmm. There's no question. It's so hard and we want to stop it and we want to fix it. And, um, you know, I think the most important thing we can do is keep them safe. Um, And if we can keep them safe and get them through it... um, and let them know they're loved, right? Because the, you know, that, you know, talk about medicine. That is the primary medicine is making sure they know they're loved, right? right? And that nothing is wrong with them. Um, even if they're struggling, if we can give them those messages and also give them permission to have their own human experience, um, then it, it, it alleviates some of the burden we might be feeling as parents, right? To yeah. see our children as these souls that are here to evolve and grow and have their own unique lesson plan. Yeah, I think that is that is very helpful. And um, I think it's also interesting <laughs> when you, you realize, too, that y- y- sometimes your kids go through phases and you're like, oh, you're really different than me. Mm. And even some of your values, maybe I'm not feeling lined up with. Mm-hmm. And um, and I love you. You know, yeah. it's just like... It's, I don't like you, but I love oh, you. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, you know, like giving yourself that permission. Because I feel like you think, okay, this is it. I'm going to have kids and I'm going to... I'm going to learn from the things I've seen that look really good to me and I'm going to do it different. And then that alone, that showing up, that really trying, that's just going to make it all work out. Mm -hmm. And when it all goes in different ways, you go, but I thought all I had to do was, you know, love them, keep a clean house, uh, you know, tell them I believe in them, read books to them, and it's all going to be cool. And you realize we don't know. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny how we can accept that for other people. Like if I have a friend going through something with a kid 
And I can see it from 30,000 feet and look at the parents and look at the kid and be like, you know what? That's all. It's all going to be okay. Mm -hmm. It's going to work out. It's going to be bumpy for a minute. Mm -hmm. But just like looking at all the characteristics, Mm -hmm. you think these people are going to work this out. Yeah. I, I cannot do that with that objectivity. I am not objective when it comes to my own children. I try, I'm getting better, mm-hmm. but I, th- I have to say that that was very useful was sometimes trying to back up right. um, and almost look at my life and my family, the way I was able to see that goodness and the other things that were going on in other people's lives. The fact that they were even willing to say like, I don't know, I'm confused. I'm looking for some information. I thought, oh, well, they're they're going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. going to get there. Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, that, that, by the way, like it's very hard to have that objectivity when, when it's your own tribe, when it's yourself too. Right. So that's why therapists go to therapy or, you right. know what I mean? Like everybody needs a reflection. And so whether that's coming from a healer or a partner or whomever, we all need somebody to kind of help us see our, you know, identify our blind spots. Um, And we have blind spots with our own families. We have blind spots with our own personal development um, that we might have greater insight around when we're looking at somebody else, right? Because we're more neutral. So when you're not neutral about something, right, it is really difficult to be clear. Mm -hmm. And we, we tend not to be as neutral about our children, right? Because there's too many Oh, we're stakes. passionate. We yeah, love them. Exactly. Do you, for you personally, do you sort of have any tools that you use to kind of try to get to some weird baseline of when you're really surveying yourself, your relationship with your husband, your kids, just kind of, you know, that check-in that you go like, well, how's everything kind of going? How's my working relationships? Do you have any tools that you use to kind of really at least as much as you can set up that, you know, kind of neutral baseline? Yeah. I mean, I teach workshops on this topic, so I, there's certainly tools that I offer to others, um, that I practice personally. And then, you know, I would say that probably the most significant tool in my toolbox is really looking at things through a spiritual lens, right. Is mm-hmm. really trying to hold that perspective, um, that every experience that we're going through is, has meaning, mm. that we can make meaning of it in a way that is useful, right? It doesn't mean that it's, um, you know, there are terrible things that happen in life, right? But um, if we survive them, which is not always the case, but if we survive them and we're able to reflect on them and we're not in an acute state of trauma, that's a different kind right. of tool kit that I would pull out, then we can then the question that we're asking is what's the lesson, right? What, for what purpose did this event experience happen in my life? And how can I use that as a catalyst to become um, more connected to myself, more connected to my community, to others, to be a more loving vessel, to have a more expanded state of consciousness, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so almost always when I'm in an experience or when I'm, when I'm challenged by something, mm-hmm. it, it gives me pause. I don't power through it. I don't keep, I don't, I just go, whoa. Wait. Really? Okay. So you're driving in the car. You've got the three and the six and the nine year old. You've had a long three days. Let's say it's a, it's today. It's Thursday. Mm-hmm. You're tired. Um, you haven't connected well with your husband in the way of like, you know how sometimes you have like effortless flow and sometimes it feels like everything you say to each other, you're a little bit stepping on each mm-hmm. other's toes mm-hmm. on the, in the dance. Mm-hmm. And uh, one kid's tired and one's complaining about something and two are fighting. What do you do? 
Do you literally, how do you find, is the pause within yourself? Where's the pause? (laughs) So that's not, that that example wouldn't necessarily be what I was kind of referring to, but but let's take it. I'm I'm giving you like a, I'm not just giving you like, okay, we're going through this thing. Okay. Okay. So I'm I'm thinking more in terms of like a a monumental, okay. More monumental, but with those day-to-day kind of what I would call kind of like the minutia of everyday life. Because these are the ones that really kick our ass. Mm -hmm. They're Mm -hmm. They're like mini explosions that's the thing. It's like sometimes the big stuff, it's more infrequent. It it levels you in a much heavier way. Mm-hmm. But that actually also can pause you because you're like, we gotta deal with this. Yeah. I'm ta- I now I'm just curious, like, do you, if you have tools yourself. Yeah. First I would I, I would look for a pattern. So if there is no pattern and this is just like a moment, do you, then ever, I let do you it ever pass. just see red? Yeah. Okay. Just with curious. my children? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Oh my gosh, yes. Um, I get really irritated. <laughs> yes. I like my peace and quiet, and I don't get that. Yes, I definitely see red everyone's mouth. Um, and, and then I just have to kind of like have a sense of humor. So some of it is humor and just like, you know, not everything has to be so serious. Not every challenge is needs to be unpacked and worked through and processed, right? So let's just Don't you like, think most don't? Many don't because I feel like we've gotten a little too precious sometimes. Too processy, yeah. Like well, let's let's. Why would you? It's like no, you're tired, or yes. you're you feel really yeah. safe with me, and you're kind of being an asshole. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm oversimplifying it, but sometimes it's it's there's the bigger ones. Like if it, things keep showing up, right? Okay, then that's. Like okay, this kid's been doing this for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Let's 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 check in. Let's what see, is this signaling? Yes. Yes. But I, I just, I guess the reason I'm bringing it up is I want to encourage people. Sometimes it's like, sometimes life is crazy. Uh, and pe- a lot and, of the time. And when you are dealing with like lots of people in a house and everybody's in a different rhythm at a yeah. different phase going through their own thing, yeah. it's sometimes it's just kooky. Yeah. And, and I think it's important to be like, I'm feeling stress. I feel the stress of the kookiness. Mm-hmm. And now what do I want to do? I'm going to, can I make a little more space from the edge right. of red? Right. Um, and then also, can I have fun with it? Like mm-hmm. sometimes I, I mean, again, I'm in a long relationship. I've been with my husband for 25 years. So mm-hmm. you get, you do learn because mm-hmm. nobody wants to be miserable. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> do you remember, like sometimes I, I've learned also to laugh at my own weirdness. Mm-hmm. Like you'll say something or react a certain way. And you can see it in their face yeah. that they think you're nutsy <laughs> and you're just like, I know nuts, right? And I guess what I'm saying is something, it's the scale of how important or serious it is. Yes. And it's reminding people too that not everything's a problem. Not everything is a problem. It's, it, and, and because then you'll be more, you'll be clearer or able to really see those subtle, subtle things. Because I think what's, what I have found, and I'd love to know what you think is sometimes the really big things are much more quiet. Because mm. they give you pause, you mean? They settle things down? Or? No, it's like when any, any of my kids had to have, have a real thing, it was so quiet. Mm. And all of a sudden I'm like, why didn't I see that? Right. Why didn't I recognize that? Why didn't I have a, the space in my day-to-day life to pick that up? Because mm-hmm. a lot of times you don't. And then they go, hey, by the way, for the last year, I've been feeling like this. Right. Or I was going through that or I was doing this. Mm-hmm. And you're like, how did I not see that? Mm-hmm. And so maybe the the ability to kind of roll through the, the little silly day-to-day 
will give you a little more capacity, a greater capacity to sort of recognize like that kid's got something going on Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. let me check in with them. Or my partner's been a little quiet. Let me see how he or she is, Mm -hmm. is how are they feeling? Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think you're touching on a couple of different things. One of which is that we do need to like not take ourselves so seriously that, you know, living in a house with a bunch of people with a lot of different feelings and things going on is, can be chaotic at times. And you do have to be flexible and adaptable and roll with it. And, and not everything needs to be unpacked and processed and all of the things. Um, and, and, you know, we definitely have ways in our house of getting some of that like energy out. I mean, my kids are young, so they're still, well, they'll still let us be super weird. Um, and, but like, we'll just crank the music and have a dance party. If like people are fighting and there's like, we'll just kind of like redirect into like something equally as crazy, but like that brings us into a state of laughter and playfulness. Um, that's one strategy, but, but I'm really just pointing to like, there's, you know, there's plenty of space in our lives for just like moods and chaos and things like that to unfold in the, in the family. And that's fine. You know, the, when you're noticing a pattern, when, when it feels like somebody's, you know, struggling, you know, and, 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 you know, I, I can understand potentially feeling some guilt about missing it, especially if it's in your child or your partner. Um, but, also, like, we're so busy, right? As human beings, we live in a world that is so much more fast-paced and so much more active, and we're, our attention is being kind of hijacked left and right by so many different things. So it, it's really a signal that, like, presence, right, mm-hmm. which is kind of the primary tool in the healing process, presence is, like, vital to the healing process, um, you know, needs to be engaged within the family system, right? Like, oh, okay, like we need to sit, we need to sit down. We need a family dinner. We don't need a dinner where, you know, kids are eating here and at the counter and this, and we're going here and like, we need to, we need to, we need to gather our thoughts, check in with each other, right? Sit with each other. And I think, um, you know, that can be a way to address some of the kind of more subtle things that are going on in the house, right? And just letting every, like, okay, like, We've been going, 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 and we now have one person in the family is giving us a signal that we're all probably needing to pause, but it sometimes takes, you know, one person to demonstrate some sort of distress or pattern of distress for all of us to go, oh, wait, we have to pause here. It is interesting what you're saying. I I never thought about this before, is that sometimes this one, it could be the three-year-old could actually be representing what everyone is experiencing. Often. And that's so amazing yeah. um, that we we don't, I don't know, that we don't. It's just an in, important reminder. So if somebody comes to you, typically, I mean, I know you're training other people. What does it look like um, for someone when they come to you? Why, are they, why do they come to you? And then what, what does that look like, a starting uh, process of you say, trying to figure out where they're at and then how to get them lining up that the brain, the spirit, the nervous system. How, what does that yeah. look like? Well, um, you know, for, for 10 years I was in private practice and had, um, you know, people would find me word of mouth. Um, and I just built a psychotherapy practice. So mm-hmm. most of my clients came in weekly and we kind of unpacked whatever was present. Usually they showed up with some sort of presenting problem. You know, they have anxiety or they want to get a divorce or they like any number of, you know, potential challenges that they're faced with. And 
we go through a journey together of exploring and healing core wounds, developmental traumas, you know, from their childhood that might be um, impairing their ability to thrive in the present. And, and so there's, there's that. Now, I still have a small private practice, but I've moved more into consulting because mm -hmm. there is a part of me that feels like traditional psychotherapy is ineffective. And what I really want to see people doing is taking responsibility for their own healing um, where possible. Yeah. Um, I kind of I, I divide my practice now, my consulting practice, into two camps. There are people that come to me in acute crises, in acute states of trauma. Yeah. Those get a different kind of my attention, right? Then there are people that come to me that want to heal, want to grow. They're struggling. They want to heal. They want to grow. But, but they're not in like a major crisis. It's like crisis. a gear shift. They're yeah. looking for a gear shift, but they don't know how to get it. Get yeah, and yet. they might be really experiencing some distress, yeah. but it, it, it's, it's different from, from like a post-traumatic stress experience. Those clients, you know, I, I especially want to work short-term with. I want to, I want to educate them, you know, tell them what I know to be true about the brain and the nervous system, mm -hmm. give them some, you know, spiritual tools, uh, mindfulness practices, books, I, I tend to like support them for a period of time, but resource them as much as possible. Can you give me just a little bit what those tools look like? Just a few examples of the tools in those buckets? Yeah. I mean, I, I encourage a lot of reading, right? Um, or li audio listening. Mm -hmm. My website has a whole bunch of resources mm -hmm. um, of that nature. I tend to identify specific readings for certain clients mm -hmm. based on what they're struggling with. Um, I might encourage, it depends on the person, how the trauma or the stress is manifesting itself in their lives. I might recommend energy healing and acupuncture, those kinds of things, yeah. um, body work. Um, and usually what I want to do, you know, and again, this is, this is with a more, oftentimes those kinds of resources I recommend to clients that have more access and resources to kind of diversify their healing processes or practices. Um, and for my pro bono clients that maybe can't afford that, I, you know, I'll help them find group um, programs and community offerings and things like that that might be useful to them. Yeah. Um, but generally, I want to diversify a person's practice. Um, you can do a lot on your own without a lot of resources mm -hmm. at home. You know, you can do a lot of reading. Um, you can now everything is available to you through your phone. You can listen to meditations. Mm -hmm. You can do, um, you know, yoga practices. Like there's so much we have access to at home. So one of the silver linings too of the pandemic is that everybody has had to develop this skill of learning how to use technology in all these different ways. Right. Um, and so because of that, we have access to more resources within the home. Um, and there are so many free re resources online, too. Yeah. Um, I also, also have, you know, invite certain clients to workshops if I think that they would benefit from a workshop. Um, and then I usually work with them personally and directly for a period of time. And if I think that they're doing the, if they're doing the work yeah. and it's exciting for both of us, then we keep it going. If my if I if I find that that client is not doing the work and that they really just want me to indulge them, then I might clip their wings mm -hmm. and set them free. Yeah. Um, I, it's not meant to you know lack compassion that statement, but I really want to work with people that are invested in healing and doing the work. Have you 
seeing, because sometimes you see this with people trying to get healthy or trying to get past maybe feeling um, depressed or anxious or, you know, whatever they're feeling. You know, you think about it, you go, okay, well, is their chemistry keeping them? Yes. Sometimes. You know, their brain, their mm-hmm. nervous system, is this combination, this cocktail keeping them actually from getting to the place where they can heal sometimes. And so there are, so if I, if I su- suspect that that is the case after I assess the client, yeah. then I'm, I, I might work with them directly for a period of time, or I will, I have clinical associates mm-hmm. that take on long-term psychotherapy clients that might need that, that client might need weekly, regular, you know, slow, processing, um, over a period of time to start to rewire and integrate and things like that. Um, they might not be ready for, um, you know, my more short term work. They might need something kind of long term. Um, can you do rewiring just by going and not just, can you rewire by going to what people think is therapy and talking Yes. I mean, it depends on the therapist. It depends on the, the, the relationship between the therapist and client, right? It's like if the relationship is reparative and there is growth happening, then yes. You um, mean if the therapist can also safely push the person a little yeah, bit? Yeah, can, re- can, can appropriately reflect, can, can challenge the client to grow, can support them. A lot of times there's a reparenting process that goes on in a therapeutic relationship where the therapist mm. provides a nurturing that the, that the client might not have experienced in their developmental years. And there, there needs to be some like core maternal or paternal repair. Um, what happens in to the brain or the nervous system? How, what's happening in there? If, well, it, if it's, you know, all things are in the green and it's the right dynamic how yeah. what how, it can what, be extraordinarily I know what's I mean I have clients who are inc- they're just incredible they're just different people than they were when I met them a decade ago because they just consistently did the work and showed up and it wasn't always fireworks in the room you know and it but but just the practice right healing is a practice it requires consistency and it just, it requires presence so therapy is a is a is a practice of presence right it's a an opportunity to be in a space even if you're reflecting um, on your past when you're in the therapeutic environment I personally tend to start with where people are at you know where I, when a client comes to me I'm not like tell me about your whole childhood yes I'll, I'll do an intake but I want to know right now what you're feeling, right? And what's happening right now in your relationships. And how is your life, how are you showing up in your reality now? And we can use, then we'll follow threads to the past, right? But I'm not just going to go digging through your past. That's really not useful. And well, not all history is, and also not all history is worth revisiting. It's not mm. necessary. Sometimes you think, you know, clients focus on a particular area of their past thinking it had such a big impact on them. And then you start to kind of bring them back into the present moment, mm. right? So therapy that is really reparative needs to happen in the present moment. You need to have radical presence in the room, right? And resonance with your client, cohere, you know, something called coherence, where you're starting to really resonate with the client. And you're able to kind of co-regulate your nervous systems, right? And really start to when you empathize. Say that, do you mean almost like a syncing up? Yeah, like you, kind you of? sync up. Yeah, I mean you, a little bit? Yeah, yeah. You're, you, you're en- from an energetic standpoint, yes. Oh my God. You do experience you, you... a resonance with your client and then 
your ability to intuit what's happening for them becomes much sharper and clearer. Mm. And you're able to help identify blind spots that the client might not be aware of. And that's where the reflection becomes really powerful, right? And if, the, if, it's, a, if it's a fit, right? If the reflection is, yeah, that's, that's exactly what it is or that's exactly what I'm feeling, then it's a reparative moment for the client and the client might be able to integrate that, right? And let go of an old story, change a you know, pattern, et cetera. Some patterns take longer to repair. Some you experience a spontaneous evolution around if you if it clicks, if you mm. get if you if you have an aha moment, right? I'm sure you've had an aha moment in your life where all of a sudden, like your perspective on something completely shifts, and you realize, oh my god, I've been hanging on to that for so long. Now it's over. Yeah. So is it? Can it happen that fast? It can. It can. Yeah. The spontaneous evolution. It can happen very quickly in certain circumstances. Of course, like I said. There's a lot of healing that can take time. Of course. And I, you know, I'm a product of that. I, you know, years and years and years of learning to regulate my nervous system. So whatever, you know, was, was the thing that caused you suffering that, you know, in your early 20s, that story that led up to that or those stories, situations, have you as a grown-up with a family, do you ever... Um, relate back to that in moments or are you completely liberated from the, from the stuff that got you into the pain in, in your twenties? Yeah. You know, it's so funny. The same healer that I was talking about earlier, Carolyn yeah. says, you know, you've integrated and you know, you've grown. And this is a, you know, I'm, I'm botching this quote. It's not like a, you know, verbatim, but when you're sick of your story, when you're not interested mm. in telling it anymore, when you're just kind of like, or when you're neutral to it, you tell it, but there's no like, victim energy around it. It's just information. This thing happened to me, right? Yeah. It's just information. Yeah. And it, it, it comes up in an appropriate circumstance. You're not using it to try to get connection and attention, right? Because right. she always talks about how people t- try to connect through their wounds often, right? And so, um, yeah, I th- oftentimes, you know, I, I'm liber- I am liberated from a lot of that, mm-hmm. for sure, Right. I'm in a constant state of growth. I'm always like evolving and learning and healing. And so there is a, and again, I don't over process things, but I do kind of assume like right now, there's a lot going on in the world, Mm. right? My nervous system is feeling all of the existential anxiety that everybody else's nervous system is feeling. And I'm kind of looking at, okay, like what, how do I remain hopeful right? I'm a, I, my job is to help people heal and to give them hope. Mm-hmm. And we live in a world where there's a lot of pain and suffering collectively that's going on. And so it's, it's almost like, you know, I'm, I'm going through the same things as all of my clients, right? Yeah. At some level, you know, for, for those clients that are really struggling with what's happening in the world. Um, and that's really where my growth lies right now. It's, um, it's, returning to the present moment, right? And remembering what's happening here and now. And, um, you know, in my, in my workshops and also in, in my, um, I teach a, from a framework that, a curriculum that I created, and also we teach from, from this framework at WellSoul, um, and we call, it, we call it the five pillars of practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and we essentially teach these five pillars and with each pillar, there are a number of different experiential practices that we teach within the workshop. But the first one is presence and it's, we call it embodied presence. 
So there's presence, like you're actively listening to someone. Mm-hmm. And then there's presence where you're actually attuned to the, your embodied experience as you are in the space with the person, right? So we are often cut off at the neck and dissociated from our embodied experience, right? So that's another, that's a hypo-aroused kind of coping strategy or, mm-hmm. or response to trauma. But as a result, we want to learn how to embody in the present moment. So that resonance that I was talking about that you might have with a, a therapist, like if you're not resonating, if your bodies aren't syncing up in some way within the therapeutic context, mm-hmm. then maybe your therapist isn't embodied, right? Yeah. And so maybe it's not a great fit. But embodiment is, a, is the key. You want to get in the here and now, and you want to get in the here and now in your body because your body is the vessel through which consciousness flows it is how we receive energy and information and how we interpret it. So emotions are one of the first kind of signals mm-hmm. um, about what's going on, right? And how to, and then we have cognitions and things like that where we shape our narratives and stuff. But, but the, the, the first kind of signal comes through the physical body. And so mm-hmm. we want to pay attention to the body. Presence is really key. Trauma brings us into the past. It sends us into the future, constantly worrying with anxiety, fear. That's what a lot of this existential anxiety is about right now. It's like, what's going to happen next, mm-hmm. right? So when you bring your energy and attention to the present moment, that's one way that you can start to go, okay, I, what is happening here and now? And you can attend to the present moment. The second um, pillar of practice is what we call wise intention. You talked about intentionality earlier, there's this Lao Tzu quote, mm-hmm. Lao Tzu quote that is, um, be careful where you're headed or you may end up where you're going, mm-hmm. right? It's like, we, so many of us live without intention. We just like get out of bed and like go through the motions and all of this stuff. When I have a client, especially a new client that comes into the space, um, I want to hear about the presenting problem. I want to know, you know what's causing them to stress. But more importantly, I'm curious about where are we going? Right? What is your you desired mean like, where outcome? Where do you really want to go? Yeah. Where is your? What is your or desired outcome? Or do you just want outcome? to keep circling the bowl? Right. What yeah. is your desired outcome? Now, I am somebody that does not want to heal people people for themselves alone. So if you're only in my office so that you can feel better, I probably don't want to work with you. <laughs> yeah. Which again is not meant to lack compassion, but part of what we know is that we're all connected. We're all accountable to each other. The most like radical forms of healing are, you know, you're able to see a person's healing when they're showing up in service, when they are, when they're, they're not indulging in their own story anymore, when it's not all about them, when it's now it's about how do I serve the collective? How do I serve the whole? How do I participate in a reciprocal relationship with my environment? Right? Well, it's almost like your purpose. When you get, start to view yourself not as like, what can I eat? What can I buy? What can money can I get? But like, why am I, what am I doing here and how am I supposed to contribute? Right. I think, well, what is it? Alfred Adler talks, was that, we read that book, um, I think The Fear to Be Disliked or something. I haven't read that. And it's a sort of interesting juxtaposition. I don't want to get off the pillars. I want to go mm-hmm. back to them, but where it's the master supposedly and mm-hmm. the student and the student goes every day and I have another question and it's this back and forth conversation and then you kind of realize you don't know who's who, but which is how it should be. Right. And he, he was at the same time, Adler was the same time as Freud, and Freud was sort of like, oh, your mom, your dad, all this stuff. And Adler was like, oh, it's your lifestyle, mm-hmm. even though that's a modern-day word. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you go through all this stuff in this book, mm-hmm. The Fear to Be Disliked, 
And in the end, what they say is, and no matter what, you just probably won't feel good. Because I don't want to use the word happy. Mm -hmm. Peace, joy. Like, I'm not interested in being happy, quite frankly. Peace works really good for me. Me I'm cool. I'll take it. (laughs) Peace all day long. Like, I don't even need to laugh out loud. Like, that stillness, that kind of... I notice the birds, Mm -hmm. and I can hear my kid breathing. It's like, I'm good. Mm -hmm. Um, Is that we only feel that really that good, whatever version of it, is when we're in service to others. Mm -hmm. And that's the end of story. Mm -hmm. And so, anyway, to your point. Okay, so go ahead. And And to elaborate on that, when we're in service from a frequency of love, not from a frequency of guilt. Because, oh, they say that's the worst. Yeah. Okay, so I'll give you another scenario. Is, serving from guilt is not a productive form of service. Worst. Well, he says that in the book. So he says the worst thing you could do, he, he, um, who, somebody told me this story. Uh, I wish I, I can, I'll remember, but he said that um, he was a, like a, a priest mm-hmm. and uh, somebody came and needed to talk to him. And he said, you know, I was tired and all I really wanted to do. Oh, no, it's, um, I'm going to remember. This is a very famous person, actually. Um, All I wanted to do was watch my shows, and I was done for the day. But because I felt bad, I I said, yeah, come in. He goes, the worst thing you could do is that service out of that guilt. Mm -hmm. He's Mm -hmm. like, it does, DeMello, what's his name, Thomas? DeMello? DeMello? Yes, that's who it was. I'll, I'll show you the book. Yeah. And he's, and it was like, that's the worst thing you can do. Yeah. I mean, listen, I did, I, I've done plenty of serving from a place of guilt in different ways growing up and in my early, you know, it's, yeah. it's reasonable. And also like, you know, if you're a sensitive, empathic person, then you're mm. going to feel the suffering that's going on around you and in the world and um, feel a sense of responsibility and sometimes more responsibility than is yours to to bear. Mm. Um, and so I can relate to that and have had to do a lot of work around shifting into trusting that I can, I I can love myself, um, and, you know, show up in service from that frequency. Um, and that's enough, right? Like I don't have to martyr myself in order to, to be of service. And, and I've had to learn that through my practice and, and in all sorts of ways. Um, and kids, it does it teaches you a lot about like no. I think they teach you a lot about learning how to be like oh. I, I think there's something really powerful about when you start getting that those extra people in your life that you're responsible mm-hmm. <laughs> for that you learn to boundaries say to people like oh yeah no. I think the other thing, and I I have to I I will have to look at this after this conversation is I've done a lot of things in service and I've I like muscle everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, like you're not present with it, meaning? Uh, well, at least sort of what got me there. I mean, once I'm always in a situation, I, I'm pretty locked in. But it's interesting. Like some people will be like more of a martyry, mm-hmm. and I'm not em- empathetic. Mm-hmm. But it was like, well, no, that's the right thing to do. Okay. Like I intellectualized right, right. that that's the right thing to do, right. so you're going to do that. Right. And um, I don't know that that's so great either. You know, it's like it's sort of – I think it's rec- it's recognizing – and being like, well, maybe today I'm a little tired and I don't feel like it, but ultimately this is what I want to do because it, it's, it feels like the right thing to do, right, right. and I want to do the right thing. Right. But there have been times where I'm like, 
we're going to get this, check this off the list yeah. and let's get on with it. And, and that's so, okay. And that's okay. I know, but you I know, think there's also, a reasonable sort of balance. Totally. But I also think you have to remember that you're a mom of three girls. That's a major act of service to love your children and show up for them and provide for them is part of that is service. You are in, you are in an, you are giving back. You are trying to create, provide the container, the foundation, the support <clears throat> to bring, you know, good citizens of the world up and um, send them out, right? Yeah. So it's like, I don't know we that also moms need to get taught that. They don't, and, and we need to expand our understanding of what service means because being a parent is, is, a, it is a major act of service. It doesn't mean you need, you're not gonna, probably not going to get an award for it, and, no. and nobody should do service to get an award anyway, but like, right. it, is, it is service, you know? Like, we don't need recognition for our service. No. You're, lo- you're acting from love when no. you're parenting, and, and that's really important. Um, okay, what's but the I third? will go to the what's third. The so third that so like? intention. Well, wait, obviously, we want to. Before you go to the third, I will say this though. Sometimes you know, it's like, as a parent, you you do take on when you have those real conversations with yourself of like, but I chose this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's where maybe it gets confusing. Where how could it be service? But we choose everything. Yes, we do. But somehow this gets put in the realm of. I just think in the way that can get confusing as a person mm-hmm, where you, mm-hmm. you go like, I want to be of service to my family. Mm-hmm. I really do. But mm-hmm. I think sometimes a lot of us are like, it's my duty. Mm-hmm. Well, you know? it is our responsibility if we're yeah. bringing children into the world to, right. to show up. But responsibility and service don't have to necessarily be separated. But that's what I mean. Yeah. I think sometimes that yeah. gets confusing. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you zoom out and you look at, you know, you know if, if one of the highest forms of spiritual evolution in the human experience is showing up in service, then yeah. there is a recognition in your process and in your growth that that you are accountable, right, to your environment, to the people in it, right, that that engaging in reciprocity is really important. Now, reciprocity being the key word, you you need to, like, we all need to give, and we also need to make space to receive, and we want to be in relationships with our Mm -hmm. environment where we are that are reciprocal, Yeah. right? I I had a healer tell me a few years ago that I work with, you are done, even with clients, that are, if there is no reciprocity, you're done. It's over. And it was so enlightening for me because I was just like, oh my gosh, I started to look at where I was in relationship to people where I was in a constant give, right? And not necessarily creating the space or even holding that person accountable to show up. And, and this, and even if the exchange is current, you know, there's all sorts of forms of currency. Well, it's right. You say that because I think so I always say I have all relationships are give and take except for a parent to a child, mm. right? Like I never ask myself like, what do I get from this deal? You know, like with my kids, <laughs> you know, it's just like, even if it's like, well, you should, well, you know what I mean? No, it's like, I, you know, that's not yeah. what the story yeah. is, Yeah. but everyone else, it's like, listen, with your partner, with whoever, even if it's like you have a friend that when you see him, they're living true to their life. Yeah. You think that inspires me? That's what you're getting, mm-hmm. right? But that you always should do give give and take. But the interesting thing is, is there's some of us who like me, it's sometimes it's hard to take because I don't want to deal with the intimacy. Mm. I don't want to owe anybody. Oh, interesting. Right. So I've had to look at that. Like when I have really forthcoming conversations with people about what I need or Mm -hmm. want, I'm like, understand this is intimacy. I don't have this with many people. Mm -hmm. 
So there's a flip side mm-hmm. of like, no, 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 I'm just going to give, give, give and not take because I don't want to owe you and I don't want to be intimate because mm. taking is also taking in. Mm-hmm. It's intimate. Mm-hmm. Where giving is just pushing out mm-hmm. also. Mm-hmm. So there's so many ways it shows up funky yeah. that if you don't pay attention or be honest with yourself, uh, you know, you can, it can get out of whack Yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, that's a really interesting observation that you have for yourself and you're not alone in feeling that way. I think, you know, people are afraid to, that's another way we contract. Well, it's controlling and weird. Yeah. Well, I can say weird. It well, comes from a reasonable it. place. It's probably because you've been an experience. You've had experiences where you were, your energy was drained from feeling a responsibility to yeah. show up for something or someone. And it didn't, but again, like those are circumstances in which it's, there isn't a balance. Right. right. Um, so reciprocity needs to be looked at from, you know, from the perspective of love really, right. you know, and how, like the exchange of re- mutual regard love, respect, honor, right? And things like that. And that includes our relationship to the earth. And there are all sorts of ways Mm. we can be in relationship to the earth differently. Um, But I think it's one of the things that the human family is trying to learn right now, right? The lesson of reciprocity. Yeah. And it's it's beautiful when you find that fluidity with certain people. Mm -hmm. You Mm -hmm. have that natural, nobody keeps score, but somehow everything feels there's a like a equal distribution or a fairness yeah. and a fluidity. Yeah. There's a balance. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Okay, your third, third pillar. Uh, so the third, the the third is is I think one of the toughest, which is focused attention. Right. So we have we have mm-hmm. embodied present. We got to get present. We have to be intentional. Intentional. Mm-hmm. Right. How do we want to show up in our relationships? Who do we want to be in this world? Intention. Then we have focused attention, and focused attention is really about sustaining our attention on our intention, right? And what are the bare, and then, and, and as we sustain our attention, right, on the present moment, for example, all sorts of things emerge in us. We are so programmed to distract ourselves from the discomfort of the present moment. Mm. We are comfort junkies. We want to either be comfortable or be distracted. So we are going to do everything we can to avoid sustaining presence. And so focused attention is really about the practice of sustaining presence and following the emotion, following the cognition, you know, really noticing what is the story I'm telling, like about all things, right? Mm -hmm. And so we want to learn to sustain our attention and we can do that through meditation practices. We can do that through um, through, um, at, at, at WellSoul, we teach a mapping, um, exercise where we map our emotions and cognitions and all of that stuff so that we can kind of follow the thread of Mm. what's present for us. Um, and so we teach that tool. Do you think a lot of people that becomes kind of a fun investigative thing once they get used to like, I feel bumpy. I feel, I don't like what I'm thinking about that when they get into the part of like, Oh cool. Where's this going to go? Yeah. And you know, I think that's why I love starting my workshops with a bunch of psychoeducation about how we're all like essentially traumatized by some developmental experience, um, whether it was some subtle chronic thing we were exposed to, or it was some big event. Um, and then everybody realizes every human being has maladaptive coping strategies and we live in such shame about these things. Mm. And so the part of the reason why psychoeducation is so amazing is that it destigmatizes things in a way that allows people to go, oh my God, okay, like I can finally look at this because now I know that there's a reasonable explanation for why I am the way I am. And I don't have to beat myself up for it. Mm -hmm. I don't have to hate myself or judge myself. Right. And so 
so we digress a little bit, but, but my point is, I think understanding those things makes it easier to focus our attention and sustain our attention on them because we're no, it's no longer just me, right? Yeah. I, I'm able I'm to, not the only I'm one. I'm not the only one. And I can, I, you know, I, and everybody in this room is, is insecure and trying mm. to prove their worth through some avenue and is, you know, has control issues and, ha- you know, like when I start to educate people about the neurobiology of trauma and that rigidity and control are one of the symptoms of that, everyone's like, oh my God, I can totally relate to that or, right? So, um, the best is when you get, you learn a little bit about this and then you, you observe yourself and you go, ho ho. I joke, we have a joke in my house about, I wipe down the counters and I'm like, oh, it looks like I'm trying to stay out of fight or flight. (laughs) Like, you know, like I'm going to control this one foot by two foot space or, you know, whatever. It's just, and I think buzzing around the kitchen. It, no, seriously. Like, let me tidy up. You yeah. know, it's like, oh, you know, who's mm-hmm. freaking out now? You know? <laughs> and uh, and my daughters have a good laugh. My one daughter's like, oh yeah, yeah. oh no, you're 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 crazy there. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I'm like, and I and I say to them too. I talk a lot about um, visual uh, clarity, mm-hmm. like I, a visual space and order, because mm-hmm. I have a, I have a lot of details I'm dealing with in day to day, like mm-hmm. a lot of people, mm-hmm. but I, it's coming from a lot of different places and I'm trying to also execute. Right. And so I like to not have a lot of visual noise. And mm-hmm. I tell my girls, I'm not saying it's right. Yeah. I'm telling you that this helps me because when we used to, we used to teach the girls about neutral space. Mm. So like your room, do what you want. They had a, an art, a playroom area, do what you want. But I said common areas, at least at the end of every day, can we make them back to neutral? Mm-hmm like a living room. And of course I had kids books and mm-hmm. toys and all that. Of course I did all that, but just some kind of reasonable where not stuff is just everywhere. Yeah. You don't want chaos. Right. And I used to say, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just telling you, I, st- it starts to close in on me a little bit mm-hmm. when there's just stuff everywhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they have their good laugh, but there is something interesting about what you're saying where people can be aware. And instead of being afraid or trying to push it away, being like, oh, okay, maybe I should check in and see what's going on. Mm-hmm. You can you start to you start to learn how to be present with it and yeah. just keep your attention on it. And yeah. it's uncomfortable. It is. So and you've got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable because that's part of the healing process. Absolutely, and it gets easier. I will say it that does. it gets so much easier. And I will say this, and people can say whatever they want. I don't care. If you are a female too, you might want to also just understand where you are in time and space Mm. with your hormones hormones. and Mm -hmm. your cycles, because sometimes you could be like, I'm having a thunderstorm in my head and I hate everyone in my house. (laughs) Take it easy. Where are you? Because sometimes you could just do a couple mathematical things and be like, oh, I'm... I have a little less. And, give, and forgive yourself a little bit. That's what I mean. And just yep. be like, you know, I, I'm low. Obviously, this time of the month, I'm a little lower in estrogen. Mm-hmm. So the feel good, let it ride hormone, it's not so, it's not as much right yeah. now. Yeah. And so I, I, even all of those conversations, um, and if you're a partner to somebody, you wouldn't be like, are you getting your period? Because that's probably not going to be productive. <laughs> Certainly don't say that while they are having their <laughs> no, period. That's what I mean. My favorite is my husband used to be like, what's the date? I'm like, this is my real feeling. <laughs> but sometimes it would make me... That's yeah, you I don't want to be questioned when you're having a feeling. <laughs> sometimes I would say, no, it's my real feeling. Or other times I'd be like, I'm going to look at that. Because, mm. you know, it's, it's all of that. So, okay, so, so uh, focused attention. Mm-hmm. So being able to stay sustained mm-hmm. in... The present. It's almost like the practice yeah. for the practice. That is the practice. Like that is the hardest part of the practice right there is just hold, like staying with it, staying with it. Because the more we stay present, mm. 
the more energy and information emerges. The more energy and information emerges, the more clarity we have, the more clarity we have, the more capacity we have to make choices. And I'll get to choice at the end here. Mm-hmm. But um, the, uh, and I'm, <laughs> we, we keep going on all these little tangents, which I love. I'm going to tell you about neutral awareness next, which is the fourth pillar. I love that. That's See, that sounds like my space. language. But I will also <laughs> say we were talking about reciprocity earlier and children and, and, and you mentioned something about thinking like children aren't necessarily giving, but they are and they need to. Oh and no, so, meaning the expectation for them to give. Right. So, but you want to set that expectation in the home. Like I, you I do. Yes. That, that they, that they have a responsibility to the collective that they are that that part of our role as parents is to teach them to be good citizens of the home right Um, and if you're a good citizen of the home then you'll probably be a good citizen of the world and what does it look like to be a good citizen of the home how do you honor how do we honor each other right and so like Mm. when you leave your shit all over the living room like it makes me really frustrated and I feel taken advantage of and that's not necessarily Mm -hmm. you know it doesn't feel balanced and fair how can we you know, you want them to understand the impact that their choices are having in you. If children don't understand the impact that their choices right. have, then they'll just, you know, be indulged, you know, and, and you know, kind of selfish, yeah. which is children are selfish and indulgent anyway. Right. But like, <laughs> but, you know, it's important. That's important modeling around mm-hmm. reciprocity. So I'm just and bringing that back. And don't you think back. they'll be good citizens outside the home before they'll be good citizens in the sometimes, home? Sometimes, but sometimes you can or plant certain those things. seeds. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So neutral awareness. Um, you know, the, so, the, so, when, so when you're focusing your attention, oftentimes you, you're going into the emotional experience. You're present with it. You're following the thread. So sometimes that can feel a little stormy. Like maybe you're getting into the center of the storm to start to understand it and experience it. Then when you move into um, f- to neutral awareness, the goal is to zoom out, mm-hmm. right? To, to kind of like take a bird's eye view perspective of what's happening. Um, neutral awareness is kind of like growth mindset. Like what is this teaching me? Mm-hmm. Um, if you are a spiritualist, it's what is my soul attempting to learn from this experience? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but neutrality is not, when I use the word neutrality, I, I don't like it to be mistaken for like being neutral in the face of injustice or something like that, which oftentimes neutrality mm-hmm. does get misunderstood that way. But when you talk about it from a healing perspective and from a spiritual perspective, this, this capacity to zoom out, which is in almost all of the wisdom traditions, mm-hmm. right? This, this um, ability to, to get neutral in, 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 I think, Buddhism, it's called witness consciousness, right? So is super important, right? Because when we're in the center of an emotional storm, mm-hmm. we are not always able to, we don't have a lot of perspective, right? And we're not necessarily, we don't necessarily have the tools to right. move through it as effectively, although being present with it is one of the tools that we need. Well, it's almost like get present so you understand what you're navigating, but back up and figure out how you want to yeah. navigate it. And you're it. still present through all of this. Remember, right. you're present through all of this. I do think you have a better sense of humor, even about your stuff mm-hmm. when you get to back up. Yeah. Like when you stop becoming when you're not shameful Mm -hmm. or feel guilty or weird about the stuff and you're, you get mucky muck and you go, Oh, I'm in the muck. Look at that. And look at, Ooh, look how I responded to this and Mm -hmm. look how I feel about that. But then you back up. I think somehow not only do you get 
can you articulate better mm-hmm. further away? Mm-hmm. But you could even say to your partner, like, let me tell you what I thought about today yeah. or what I did and, um, or, and then corrected, mm-hmm. you know, but I also feel like it gives you, um, enough healthy distance that you also can present it mm-hmm. not only to yourself, but mm-hmm. maybe then someone that you trust mm-hmm. because, um, there's something really helpful yeah. with that. There is. And, and, and it, it is a more objective stance to take and, and, you know, we also, it takes the right and the wrong out of it. So neutrality mm. is all about recognizing that there is no right and there is no wrong. There is no good and there is no bad. There just is, right? Um, and so it allows us to be an acceptance of what is. It allows us to let go of our attachments to certain things. It's a really important spiritual kind of piece of wisdom to integrate. Um, now, being an acceptance of what is does not mean you find something acceptable. So sometimes people think that some of those spiritual concepts are hard to grasp for that reason. But the reality is we need to be able to step out and say, this is happening. So we have to be an acceptance of it, right? When we're able to do that and we're not living in judgment of it, mm-hmm. right? Then we have more capacity to discern what our choices are around it, right? So, um, I had a teacher that used to say, how you respond to the issue is the issue, right? So it's not the issue itself, right? It's are you judging it? Are you making it wrong? Are you making it bad, right? So like, let's look at how I'm responding to this issue and neutrality helps us to do that from a more neutral or, you know, from a more objective space. And then the fifth, the fifth um, pillar is, is purposeful action, right? And this is where you can come back down into the mm. physical, right? You've just zoomed out, right. you can discern, and you have choices. And now you have a plan, though, too. I feel like sometimes, because it's hard. It is hard. And, and, we, it, and it's hard to make change. So when yeah. you come down, you go, I'm going to, like, okay, let's say if, like, even confronting someone with an uncomfortable conversation, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to go down, going to get back in there, and I'm going to show up. And I'm going to say, differently. Yeah. yeah, and I think that that's, yeah, you can show, you, you can make the same choice. And I, this, when we talk about purposeful action, we always, I, my, my partner and I are always telling our, our clients and students, you can make the same choice from two different frequencies, right? Mm. You can make the same exact choice. You can make it from a place of love, or you can make it from a place of competition, judgment, anger, resentment, right? Mm-hmm. And it may end up being the same exact choice. But the outcome you will get from making that choice will be different if the frequency is love, forgiveness, acceptance, right? And, you know, we live in a world of paradox, right? And it's a very polarizing world, right? So we are pulled into this constant state of feeling like we have to judge something as right or wrong. You talked about that at the beginning in terms of what these children are growing up with, right? Um, No discourse, right? It's just like binaries. Um, And so... Part of the spiritual practice of purposeful action is recognizing that we do have choices in a world of opposing views. And so those choices can be challenging. And so we want to do these other steps to really get present and be intentional and work through our stuff, which focused attention allows us to do so that we can get neutral, so that when we are making that choice, Mm. we're making a choice from a place of purpose, from a place of love. And even if we don't get the desired outcome, like 
we, part of purposeful action is letting go of your attachment to the outcome is I'm going to make the best possible choice that right. I have in this moment yeah. from a place and a frequency of love inside of myself. And if it lands in a way that cause, and that might mean setting a boundary that might be mm-hmm. saying no to someone that might actually be a really hard it choice. Be it might be leaving a marriage. Yeah. It might be quitting a job, right? It might piss a lot of people off. Mm. So we have to learn. And then you go back to the Go back to the pillars. Yeah, you keep going. Right? Okay, okay, I've got to get present with this. Well, it's con- This is painful. It's, it's so constant what you're saying. Um, I, you know, I, I know Byron Katie, actually. Mm, yeah. And what's interesting for me is I, I, it was one of the first times I ever saw somebody who could talk about things that were so uncomfortable mm-hmm. and sort of be like, okay, here Thank we you. are. <laughs> yeah, she's amazing. It, so what I'm curious about, because this is something, and this is selfishly, like I'm always trying to manage, I'm... I try, I'm very analytical, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I, I I probably used to use pressing into things as a reaction to my fear, mm-hmm. right? I wouldn't run away or recoil. I'd lean into it, mm-hmm. but not always in the best way, right? Okay. Like it was like, oh, this is, I'm uncomfortable. Like get in there, you know, kind mm-hmm, of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, is how do you do this without becoming detached, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Like it's such a something an interesting movement of like I'm passionate I'm I these children I love them my friendships I care I do this thing but I can but I'm going to you know try my best to pull back and really decide who am I trying to be who am I trying to show up as who, who what would I like this outcome to be meaning I don't need to be the winner I don't need to be right just like the truth mm-hmm. you know or whatever the truth is at that moment mm-hmm. And not become detached because mm-hmm. I'm I'm not a person who gets highly emotional except probably my kids have been the ones who really taught me. Um, but I found always fighting that how do I emotionally stay engaged and involved and have this level of like perspective all the time? Mm-hmm. It's such a dance. It's a dance. It is, and I think you're bringing up a really important point, which is like. My, it's interesting, we have different coping strategies. So your coping strategy has been a little more dissociative. Totally. Right? My coping strategy has been more hyper arousal. I feel everything. Mm. Right? Oh, yeah. So, um, so, you know, we're going to, we're going to approach those coping strategies with slightly different interventions for one, you know, in terms of for you, I would be engaging, supporting you to engage in practices of embodiment, right? To get you into connected to your physical body. And even though you're a professional athlete, there's a way in which you've conditioned yourself, programmed yourself, Mm -hmm. or been programmed to stay. It's a mind game for you, right? Mm -hmm. You're to stay in the head and not necessarily really pay attention to these you're, you're actually you've actually learned to override some of them it sounds like some yeah, of those. I used to always observe everything from even above yeah. and be like well what's happening yeah 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 so you know. so so for you I would be encouraging embodiment practices mm-hmm. things that are going to get you into your body yeah um breath work things like I don't know if you've ever done any yeah, holotropic breath work tons. okay so, so things like that and anyway we can talk more about that but the but for me, I'd be doing other things to try to like downregulate, right? Mm-hmm. So what you're speaking to, though, is detaching, it sounds like, from like a sense of connection to the thing or the person that you're 
issue, whatever it might be. Is that what you're describing? Well, just more of like you're navigating something and you sort of take that step back. Um, so you're saying when you zoom out to neutral? Yeah. Like, okay. So the high, like the best ideas, the highest ideas, they have this sort of that surrender, mm-hmm. you know, that we yep. talk about yeah. and that acceptance of, you know, like Katie said to me once, we were talking about one of my girls. She's like, you know, the good news is he, she's either going to do it or she's she's not. Mm-hmm. And the bad news is, is like she's either going to do it or she's not. That's right? right. And I remember Paradox. I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, you know, but within that kind of like. Some things you are supposed to detach from. Do you know what I mean yeah. though? It's like, it's a weird thing of like when I feel like I'm at my best and most loving mm-hmm. is when I'm in this acceptance, mm-hmm. which also simultaneously feels a little, there's like Detached. almost a neutrality to it yeah. that I'm always like, and since I fight that naturally, mm-hmm. I'm hypersensitive right. that I don't want to get too, too detached, too far. Yeah. I hear what you're saying. I, you know, the, the, what you're describing is you know, that kind of neutrality is okay, right? Yeah. It's like, when when am I avoiding? So no, there's no, a difference between avoidance, yes, detachment. Right, not that. And and letting go of control and that's allowing whatever is going to happen to happen. Oh, but that's scary. It is scary. You know what I mean? And it's super important. But this is, <laughs> see, I want to bring this up because I think sometimes, like, whether it's from your coping mechanisms or mine, people have to realize you might get to a place, especially as a lover to someone or a parent where truly saying, Hey, I'm here. I'm in it. Um, I'm not putting crazy expectations. Like we're going to be together forever. Mm -hmm. I'm just like here, I'll give you my best today. Mm -hmm. And I'm not in charge of you. Mm -hmm. Like you're in charge of you, not the kids in that same way, but there's Mm -hmm. sort of like this neutralness that I, because I know I'm fighting that naturally, I'm always like, is this too neutral? Is no, this too, you're not you know? fighting that. You're, you're fighting disconnection. You're not fighting because you that is a that is a healthy s- state of consciousness to be in, based on what you're describing. Yeah, right. At least the well, examples she's that the you're Katie giving is me is the one that I really like brought it to light for me a few years back, and so I've really done some practices of like doing the work a little yeah, bit. Yeah, and just sort yeah. of going like, okay, you yeah. know, and that's great. It's freaking scary. Though. It is scary. <laughs> Um, but letting go is a powerful tool. And, um, and so I can see how you, what you're describing, but, um, it doesn't sound concerning to me in the way that you're detaching. Which could be mass, like, I don't want to say more masculine, but it, it, at times it's like, it's funny because my husband is so heartfelt Mm -hmm. and I sort of took on this other role. It's just an interesting balance, but it was like, well, okay, what's the information and what's the solution and what's the thing and right, all of right, this stuff. Right. So I, I've really learned yeah. to, to uh, get on with that. And I was just curious from your point of view, because I, I feel that you must have had many of these experiences when you're talking about going into these um, relationships uh, with a client, is I would imagine that your first pillar brings you all that intuitive information from them. Yes. Like they're telling you because you are connected. Mm-hmm. And I also am feeling their energy and their... That's what I mean. And everything in the room because that's what I do. I'm an empath. Right. So I feel it all. Yep. And so I was like thinking to myself, I'm like part of also why that relationship works is because there's a becomes a shorthand between the two of you mm-hmm. where you're sensing and understanding them. That's right. It, 
it's all happening. Mm-hmm. And I think we have that in our relationships too. Absolutely. You know, where you can, you go, oh yeah, I know what's going on, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I think people. Intuition, you, intuition actually becomes sharpened through practice. So the, so if you're mm-hmm. in a relationship and you're consistently experiencing coherence and regulating your nervous system, co-regulating your nervous systems and, and, and experience resonance with one another, yeah. then what you're going to do is become more and more and more intuitive about your partner, right? And be yeah. able to read them really, really well and recognize when a signal means something or when it's, you know, and they might not even be aware of it, right? right? So sometimes that's where that reflection becomes really important, right? Our partnerships are super important to provide those reflections. Yeah. And, um, it is amazing how much someone can tell you mm-hmm. right when they just walk up totally. and they don't have to say one thing mm-hmm. and you're just like, oh. So you are more embodied than you're describing because I, you're well, able to feel that. I'm, I'm, I'm very, uh, one would say, um, perceptive because mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that was a survival yeah. thing. But the other thing that's been interesting, and I'm just curious what you would say is when you have teenagers, right, you're, you're also trying to respect their independence. Mm-hmm. It's a really unusual fine line mm-hmm. of, you know, keeping your finger on the pulse, but also giving them that healthy space so they don't feel like you're on, you know, you're crowding them. Right. And, um, and it's very, it's a little trickier to dial into them even if it's just to see if you can feel how they're feeling. Mm-hmm. Plus, they don't always know how they're feeling, so they're feeling all kinds of things, so you don't know what signals. And, and because you're not trying to take anything personal, right? You don't want to go up and down on that journey either, mm-hmm. where it's just like, leave me alone, you know, and it's like nothing's... You know what I mean? It's just a, an unusual time. Mm-hmm. And so I think sometimes for a lot of parents who, you know, they're, we're fumbling through doing the best you can, it's this interesting thing of, I want to give you some autonomy. I want to be here for you. Um, I, I can't really, I don't know what signal is going on. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it's going to maybe throw me into chaos. Mm-hmm. And so I can't. I had a daughter say to me once that she thought I was, like there was a neutrality to me, one of my daughters. And I said, oh, I was just really doing my best to be here for everybody when Mm -hmm. you're all going down your little holes. Mm -hmm. But it's just an interesting part, I think, as a parent where you're trying to kind of calibrate. Mm -hmm. I'm leaning in. I respect you're your own person. Mm -hmm. You're going through changes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just a Yeah, I mean, my... Listen, I remember being a teenager. I don't have teenagers myself, so, you know, I don't want to speak out of turn, but... And I, I have worked with teenagers in, in clinical work, but it's been, a lo- it's been a while. But what I know intuitively is that, that everything is a dance, right? Mm-hmm. So you're always going to be kind of checking in with what's too much, what's not enough, what's too much, what's not enough in, in many areas and of day, your life. which day, by the way. Yeah, and which day, and, yeah. right? But the one thing that I would do is just talk to your kids, right? Just that maybe just that's the ritual is checking yeah. in, yeah. right? Instead of trying to read them, um, right. because they can be really tricky to read when they're teenagers yeah. because everything's going on, yeah. um, is to just constantly be like, um, yeah. let's do a check-in. Yeah. How are you feeling? What do you need? Yeah. Right. I want to show up for you and I just yeah. want to make sure here's what I'm sensing or I'm not sensing anything and I want to make sure I'm not missing something. What do you need? Half the time they're probably just gonna be like, okay, whatever mom, you know, but then then they will too though. But then there will be a day where they're like, I I need something. Right. 
those car rides to and from any place, mm-hmm. they're gold. Yeah. Because yeah. sometimes you just go like, oh, da-da-da, and they go, oh, oh. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> here it comes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really important. My nine-year-old is super into to her daydreams right now. And so when oh, we're in cool. the car, she wants me to play music and doesn't want me to talk to her because she's in a daydream. And if I, if I take a phone call or something like that, she's like, Mom, I'm in a really good daydream. You're really interrupting That's it. That's amazing. So yesterday we were driving down to L.A. and I was just cracking up. And she was telling me all about her daydream, which was I think she was in a singing competition and... All of her friends were there, That's you know. <laughs> it's really funny. So you you have all this information. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what exactly? Um, so not everyone's going to be able to get to you. Do you do anything um, like tele? Yeah, I mean, a lot of my work is over Zoom right now. Yeah, but um, I mean, even programs or somebody, you know, if they can't get to you directly. Yeah, you mean like um, digital content or mm-hmm. something of that nature? That's being worked on at Okay, the so you maybe have, we'll have like some kind of, yes. maybe two or three days or little courses I'm gonna or do things some classes. like that? Yep, okay. I'm going to do some. I also teach classes through the Garrison Institute in New York, mm-hmm. um, and I haven't, I don't have anything on the calendar right now, but I, I'm about to put some things on, and that's a good great resource. Um, they also have other classes that are amazing and some of my colleagues are incredible. Um, and I teach well soul, mm-hmm. um, mostly in Ojai. Right. And then, um, I do private consulting, um, and the, I do pro bono work too. So mm-hmm. I ke- keep a really good balance. Yeah. Um, and, um, I do private consulting for groups and organizations and then for individuals, couples and families. Yeah. For work places Mm -hmm. and spaces. I was thinking about that. It must be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just to get in there too, because imagine if people had the ability to have their work environment as well as their home environment, at least listen, at least when you're, you're trying, you're making the attempt. I think again, that, that, that for me ends up being, even with your kids, I want to say that too. Like, you said this earlier, when you're, when you're showing up, your kids really appreciate it. The greatest thing I could have ever done, um, especially for one of my daughters, was say, I'll take a look at that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, just now when I don't know and she'll go, da-da-da, and I'll say, you know what, let me take a look at that. I don't get defensive. Mm-hmm. I don't try to get, you know, I don't make it a legal, you know, conversation. Well, can you give me examples? And, like, you know, 10 times that it happened and the dates and time. It's like, yeah. all right, let me take a look at that. And um, Totally. I can, have some humility about your human experience constantly yeah it's been four I'd say it's close to four years and I can say that I want to encourage any parent that sometimes I had a friend say you know like sometimes we get we're in these situations and we don't get out as quick as we like you know it takes longer if we're maybe going through a rough patch um but that I will say that if you are willing to try to get new tools whatever those are um your kids you then you're halfway there Mm. your kids will respond because they will feel heard and seen totally. and see that you too are willing mm-hmm. that, like you said, they're not getting dropped off and they're the problem. Right, right. I think it's, it's really right. powerful. Is there anything that scares you or keeps you up at night? Mostly the climate. Really? <laughs> yeah. The planet. <laughs> um, more so probably than anything else. Yeah. Um, and just wanting us to do better and do right by this environment that provides so much nourishment to all of us. Um, and I, that's something I'm working with in my own kind of process right now mm-hmm. is, is how to, um, 
you know, feel like I'm doing enough, um, but still do more and also remain hopeful and all of those things. Uh, but I would say that's kind of the primary fear. Um, and then the other thing I will, I just want to add, because you just brought up something so important about, you know, kind of demonstrating for your children your humanity is apologize apologize to your children. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I don't know about your upbringing, but I grew up in an environment where parents were right and you were wrong, no matter what the circumstance. And if a parent was acting out of alignment, um, there was no apology. Right. And so children need to see us apologize and take responsibility. And also, um, you know, they're incredibly forgiving And that is an incredibly reparative tool, right? If you want to help your children evolve and grow and repair, apologize. And I find myself apologizing to my kids way too often because I, you know, might get, lose my temper or get frustrated or whatever it might be. And, um, and so, you know, but I do notice like it can be hard. It can taste bitter coming out sometimes, but oh God, it's so hard sometimes, right? Um, But it is a practice that gets easier. It's, it, it is. And it's so important, right, for them to not, mm. A, think that you're always right, and B, dem- witness you demonstrate accountability mm. and your humanity and all of that stuff. Apologizing is one way to do that. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't mean that you're not perfectly well-intended yeah. and you're still not, you know, smart and have some other really good ideas mm-hmm. as a parent. Exactly. It just means you blew it. <laughs> yeah, you blew it in that moment yeah. and whatever. Totally. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I am, um, if you, if you could, if you wanted to invite someone, whether it's in the practice of their relationship with the planet or with their family members or with themselves, if you had a, a, a call to action or an invitation in those spaces, what would it be? Um, here, my call to action would be pay attention to what's going on around us. I, I know that, you know, people are really ready for the pandemic to be over and to move on with their lives, but it's not over for a reason. Um, we are, you know, if anything has taught us about the interconnectedness of humanity, it is this virus. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are experiencing, obviously, we've talked about it kind of one crisis after the next in our human family, whether it's climate-based or um, war or whatever it might be, and to not try to bury your head in the sand. Um, I know it can feel so overwhelming and that sometimes it feels like, oh my gosh, like if I just, if I start to turn towards this and give it my attention, like I might just completely fall apart. Um, And my encouragement is to, in small doses, to whatever, you know, at whatever capacity you have for, you know, that window of tolerance that we talked about, staying within that window of tolerance, do a little bit of your own work. Mm -hmm. Um, Read something about, you know, what's going on in the world. I have lots of resources on my um, website on the book, on the book section. So you can kind of just go there, but educate yourself and take some accountability for your little corner of the planet. Um, That would be my call to action. So Casey, can you direct people to you in all the places that they can find you? Yeah. So my website is caseycrown.com, K-A-S-E-Y-C-R-O-W-N. And that's probably the best place to get in touch with me um, or wellsoulworkshops.com. And yeah, 
I and Garrison Institute as well. Um, hopefully, I'll be posting some more classes soon, and and I look forward to connecting with whoever listens to this that might be um, interested in doing some of this work. Well, I really appreciate your work and this point of view because I think the idea of trying to improve ourselves or heal ourselves without you know, feeling shame, but having actually actionable kind of steps and tools. Mm -hmm. Because for me, just talking about our feelings or my, you know, my parents did this to me or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, you know, at some point it's like, what are we, what are we going to do? Right. And I really appreciate that. And, um, and the fact that it's, you know, it's in, it things should, I think love is a really much easier tone in which to try to look at ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate that you're putting that out there. Oh, so thank, thank you, you, and thank you for your time. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure, and I'm really grateful to be here. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening, and if you'd like, rate, subscribe, and leave us a review. All of my music was graciously done by Frank Zumo and Tom Thacker. If you want to see some of the behind the scenes action, just follow me at Gabby Reese. And remember, don't miss new episodes every Monday. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.